Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. Right, so we are joined today by a very special patron who uh, jumped on at the highest level, and that gets you bonus points when it comes to the listener episode, which this yes, is. It does. So, Igor, thank you for joining us at the highest level of uh, patronage. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And this episode is all about the listener questions, and we will start with yours, my friend. Okay, so thanks for receiving me first. And um, my my question is about like money because I have I think my belief of money is wrong and I feel like I'm going poor every time I spend money. It's kind of weird. So yeah, that's it. If you want to know my biotype, I'm a melancholic. I have uh, my personality is a, um, a supportive melancholic. Hmm. So yeah, interesting. Uh, now let's talk about how you created the meaning of money. What did money mean when you started growing up? Uh, what did money mean when I started growing up? Like, because here's the I, thing: when we when we when we want to understand who we are in relationships, who we are in our relationship with money, who we are in our understanding of a family, the the first thing to start addressing is the meaning that we gave it. Because most people never pay attention to the meaning that we give everything, and money means something completely different for all for all people. Like I've been in relationships with people that think that money um, is is actually love, and wherever you're putting your money, that means that you're putting your love. Some people people see money as attention so some mean some people see money as power what's money for you yeah money money for me feel I, I put it like i think money is power for me and i never knew why i guess or maybe you i know money when you were growing it's up. freedom free the power of freedom yeah okay who had the money when you were growing up when i was growing up i guess my mom Okay. Who did she give it to and why? What did uh, she spend money on? What did she use the money for? Because that's how we create me. She was very like careful Mechanically about understanding money. how people use it. She was like, we were, we were not that rich, like middle-class people mm-hmm. in, uh, in... And it doesn't really matter how much money you have, just seeing how it's spent, what it's used for and what... It yeah, used. she was very careful about their... Their, the, the the general expense of of money okay why this is getting because, interesting because i guess <laughs> she was scared about lacking money she was she was mm-hmm. raising me alone i was uh like she she i wasn't i'm an only child my father left early and she was uh, she she was alone to raise me sometimes mm-hmm. my father helped but sometimes only only a few okay so what is money for? So money is for raising child. It sounds like money is there for the responsibilities, for whatever you love and is important. And it gives you the freedom to care for the people that you love. Huh. 
And then every time you spend money, if it's not on something important, like taking care of someone you love, you feel like you're wasting it and that you won't be ready to actually handle the things that are important, which makes you feel like you're poor and powerless us to face all the important things in life because you're spending on stupid stuff and money is responsibility and value to the things you love okay does that make sense <laughs> it does <laughs> <laughs> it's always so interesting when we start figuring out the value and the meaning that we give to things because when then we start understanding why we react a certain way to certain events because then Every time you do something that you don't need and that it's not about responsibility and love, you're like buying an Xbox or something like that, yeah. it must feel to your subconscious like you're being the most reckless human being and you won't be able to face the rest of your life because you just spent money on this. <laughs> Can't see anything about that. Like, I love watching a melancholic have a realization. I know it takes so long. We just sort of like sit for ten seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's watching a computer reboot. <laughs> Dan is saying. Dan is saying on the literally that on the on the on the Patreon yeah, channel. Like downloading. <laughs> downloading new meaning of money. Yeah. You know, we've never we've never really talked about money before. I've, I'm so fascinated by money because it's like. You know, it's this human construct that we made, but we put so much meaning to it. Like, it's yes. like the, the amount of meaning we put to money is the same amount of meaning we put to like love and like actual intrinsic things, but it's not. It's a fucking game we made up. And it's like the yeah. fact that it like controls so much of our, well, just our Existence. ecosystem, but also like, yeah, what's in here, like how much bandwidth it takes up in our head blows my mind we should like, we should of, do an episode where the, we invite on like the richest person we know and the poorest person we know and just dive into <laughs> the psychology of each of them i think that'd be a really well, cool no we can't because you just said that live and they're gonna know that they're the no. poorest person <laughs> we know. i wouldn't hide that from them that's not a bombshell i drop on them live like okay so you guys are here because one of you is rich and one of you is poor we're not gonna say which is which like they'll know <laughs> i mean i <laughs> I, I'm in a commune in Hawaii right now, so I can find people on one side of that coin for you, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you want. Yeah. Well, if you find the owner of the commune, well, yeah, right. you can find people on both ends of the. That's story. true. They're all right. They're both right here. Brian is in Hawaii on a porch swing in the jungle, at some sort of a commune of runaways. Is that a melancholic yep. dream? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no one bothers me. I don't I can just sort of wander the earth and uh, it's just That's sort of so like true. live in my head and dream all day. It's, yeah, Brian it's made friends with a tree yesterday. Well, I I wanted to I, I wanted to say, before we go into the tree, I wanted to say something else about movies. <laughs> We've already talked about loving trees on this podcast. Yeah. We've already had that episode. <laughs> because Igor, Igor asked, just asked a mind-blowing question that actually opens a whole conversation about it, uh, which is, well, sorry, I left for a minute, uh, which, is, which is really interesting in this sense. Humans give meaning to everything. And then the meaning that we give to that becomes our loyalty to how we use it, how we become, how we feel about it. This applies to relationships, to everything, but it never applies in such a mind-blowing way as money. Because beyond the emotion and excitement of things themselves, nothing gives you the mechanical power and the mechanical ability to create stuff and get stuff and, 
And nothing creates the experience of the people around you the way money can. So yes, the meaning that we give to money is probably one of, the, one of the most important meanings that we will ever have in our lives and that will define the path that we walk and who we become for years after. So like most people lose it when they get money or they lose money. Like someone who's not used to seeing themselves as someone with that amount of power, suddenly they get that amount of money and they seem to want to lose it because only that will bring them to the old meaning. This is why, and you don't need to believe me on this you can do your own research because this is fascinating this is why most people that win the lottery actually get rid of it right away like most people that win the lottery lose all of it in 18 months that's the world average and they do it because the meaning that they gave to many doesn't allow them to have a lot and then when you give them extra cash they find a way to lose it in the exact same way that when people give a meaning to money to money that makes money easy you can remove all of their money and give them an orange and they will become the biggest orange salesperson in the world and they'll just find a way to recreate their wealth because of the meaning they gave it so it's always important to stop at some point in your life and ask yourself what meaning am i giving to money and why am i having this sort of relationship with it this is something that, for example, I, I work with people from different religions, and it's something that's extremely obvious in the meaning that Catholics have for money and Jewish people have for money. Like, uh, Jewish people have a very uh, mechanical and and uh, like he healthy understanding of money. They're not fighting it. And that's why even some, some people in other religions kind of want to resent them for it. Uh, but it's just available because of the meaning they have. And the comparison is kind of unfair because actually Catholicism, especially in Latin America, gives a very bad meaning to money. They keep quoting this phrase from the Bible. Like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to say it properly in English, but they keep giving this meaning that it's easier to put a camel through the little hole of a needle that to get a rich person in heaven and yes. that start explaining the 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 type the type of meaning that we're giving to money and why we 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 were challenged by it constantly I, yeah. i'm thinking about because like my view of money like when you ask that question of like well what did money mean growing up and to me money growing up meant control because my yeah. dad got to decide everything because he was paying for it. And like, even to this day, like as I'm making more money at this point in my life, I'm starting to feel like I get to make more decisions. And like, I've always thought one day I'm going to have all this money and I'm going to choose where we go on vacation. One day I'm going to have all this money and I get to decide like, it's, it's like, a, a not that my dad would use money to control us, but it was definitely one of those things where it was like, if you wanted money, you had to go to dad and he got to decide kind of where, where, and when it went. So which when you when you are at a lower level, like when you're a kid or where you when you're within the family, but you're not not the richest person um, within the Jewish structure of families, especially Orthodox Jewish people, whoever has the money is respected, is in control, but it's also responsible for everyone else within the system. And we see this going from generations. Sometimes the grandfather, the grandmother become extremely important because they're the ones with the money. So they're the ones making the calls, not only for their children, but also for their grandchildren. So acquiring that responsibility becomes something noble within the Jewish structure. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's better or worse, just easier. So people, like most of my Jewish clients, they don't, they, they're, they're not... 
they don't have a value to money like I, I need to have it because I need to prove a point. It feels like a responsibility that gives you freedom in the end because it, it, it does come with control. So if you want to be in control and if you want to be responsible of everyone around you, then you should be the one that has a lot of money. And it seems like a goal that I can achieve and, and it's completely doable. When in other cultures, Lina was saying something brilliant in the comment section on Instagram too, which is even Muslims think that having a lot of money in many cases it's extremely bad. It's only for bad people and they will be punished for being like that. And when you have a meaning that doesn't include not going to heaven and being punished and being seen as horrible or, or like you're doing something mean or wrong because you're like that, then money is just way easier for you. I guess yeah. I can understand that because culturally, like I came from an island called Martinique and people with money in Martinique are mostly uh, uh, white colonialists that used to, yeah. to 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 come here and take the land and they are still there like and that that's the the those are the richest people in in the place yeah martinique is like mexico 50 years ago <laughs> and, and 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 we can see it in many places in the caribbean that that kind of still work that way that like if you go to Belize right now, Belize is such a beautiful place, but if you go there, it seems like you're 50 years behind and, and that people with money are still in absolute control and they're mean to everyone else who doesn't have money. So then having money in a culture like that means that you just became one of those people that probably hurt your family and that you don't belong to the system anymore. Mm -hmm. Because if something that, that has us together within the system of my family is being poor and supporting each other, if I start having money, I stop belonging to that group and that group will have resentment towards me and i will feel like i was expelled from the system i wonder if uh different biotypes relate to money differently i mean i'm sure they do for the most part like i would think that cholerics because like i was thinking money is so it's a thing that you create results with that's what it is like you use money just to like create results mm -hmm. in your life i would think that cholerics would have the most attachment to kind of just the um just what we use money for just like the I, I don't know maybe that's not true but it feels like that they would be the most well, no money. but it is true we we can break it down right now like even when it has to do with drugs I've, I've i've spoken in the podcast before about what drugs every biotype needs to be extremely careful with because they're the drugs that make your superpower and your core feel more comfortable right. or, or more powerful if that's what you're looking for that like was a with great money, list and thing. anyone that wants to know should go back and listen to all of the episodes because i forget which one it was a part of do you remember which episode that was in <laughs> No. Yeah, it was, that was <laughs> a great. Recent, it was like two episodes or three ago. Real quick, just just <laughs> go through them. I know that cholerics shouldn't do cocaine, right? Cholerics need to be extremely careful with the cocaine. Uh, because it gives them that sense of, of being more powerful on top of everything and being able to create results. Sanguines have to be extremely careful with alcohol. Uh, and sanguines tend to be excessive with anything. But alcohol becomes a social lubricant and it makes people be happy and it makes people be easier to connect with and create a deep experience with. And sanguines love that. That's why sanguines don't want to get only drunk themselves. They want everybody to get drunk. Like if you go to someone's, to a, a smart, powerful, sanguine party, they're going to have waiters offering you alcohol every 30 seconds because they want everybody to be drunk and have the experience. Then 
phlegmatics need to be extremely careful with ecstasies and MDMA or whatever enhances their ability to feel other people. And finally, melancholics need to be extremely be careful with pot or anything, any psychotropic <laughs> that allows them to switch off their head somehow. Um, because oh, that's oh, what yeah. they sorry, love I, with. <laughs> and, and Brian, please put the pot down. Please. Yeah, sorry, it's down, it's down. <laughs> Not appropriate for the podcast, sorry. <laughs> so what it has to do with money, of course, it has a different meaning to everyone. And, and it's because of how we're going to use it, given our core. So beginning with cholerics, it's extremely simple. Like for a choleric, money is power and position. It's their ability to be on top of everyone and create results that no one can create. What do you think money is for sanguins? Um, social lubricant. <laughs> it's like a, I think money for sanguines is like a passport. It's like a, uh, like an ability to go do wherever a social you want. passport. Yeah. Like I can, I can do whatever experience I want to do with it. I I've, I've heard comedians say this in the past, but for both cholerics and sanguines, this applies a little bit for sanguines and cholerics money is fuck you money. Uh, like for <laughs> clerics, it's about you can't touch me. I'm better than you. And for sanguines, it, it, and this relates to an explanation I was giving about intimacy and commitment in my stories and 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 in in RGP development on Instagram over here yesterday. But for sanguines, money is the ability not to commit with anything. It's 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 mm-hmm. a passport. It's it's a free pass. Like I don't need to be committed, oh, yeah. and I I don't need to be, come back, and I don't need I don't need to deliver because I already have the money, so I can just enjoy the experience, and no one can tell me what I need to do and or what I'm doing wrong. Um, yeah, that's why usually when a sanguine has a lot of money, you see a whole entourage around them that has no permission to tell them anything. Mm. Uh, to tell them that they're wrong at anything, and then for phlegmatics, what is money? Uh, I like what Malik wrote in the patron section that it's to strengthen relationships. It's like it's a connection actually, tool. It has to do with that. Malik is right on the right track. It's actually ability to support others. Like the more money I have, oh. the more the more I can do for others. The, like I could buy him that, and I can take them there, and I could buy a bigger car to fit more people in it, and and I, and I could I could buy a huge house, and I have my friends over all the time. It's actually about the ability to give to others. I'm nodding like crazy because that's exactly what I think. Like the first thing that I will do when I have a lot of money is is my family goes to Joe Stone Crabs in Miami, and it's like whoever is like the breadwinner picks up the tab. And it's usually yeah. around like two grand for a meal, you know? And I'm like, that's, that is to me, I will know I am there. I've made it when I can pick up the tab comfortably. It becomes your gift to everyone else. The freedom to be that. It, it's like becoming your own personal foundation for, for your friends. You become that and your family. Yep. And for and melancholics. Then, I can't wait for us to get rich. I know, honestly. <laughs> I bought my friend a bottle of water the other day because I could. (laughs) We want you to say that, but we want you to say, I just bought Teslas for Brian and Roe because I can. Because I could. And every time you drive it, you think of me because I have the control. But that's systemic. All right. Yeah, that that, that went dark into your systemic pattern really fast. (laughs) Buy Brian a bag of marbles. That's right. I'm still marbles on here. And then for melancholics, this is actually a challenging one. For most melancholics, what is money? 
I mean, I, I don't know. Number? I view it as a, just like an absurd game. I, I philosophize and think about it all the time. It's just like such a weird construct that like I'm trying to even understand. I view it, I don't know. I, I, but also I like math, so I like- Yeah, so sorry. Like melancholics have a very difficult relationship with money in general. Yeah, I do. Well, because melancholics usually see money in two ways. Um, some of them see it as pure potential. Like they're thinking what they're going to use it for and they're, they want to be 100% right on it. So it's like, maybe I could use it for my invention. Maybe I could create this. Maybe I could create that. Maybe I could get people to work as, as Lena is saying on Instagram. Maybe I could create a company, but it takes a while. It's pure potential. Uh, and it's the potential of freedom too. But you would need to plan it out for it to last as long as you want it to last. And then for like, those are the healthy melancholics. But for, <laughs> for, for honestly, most melancholics, money is nothing but trouble. So they just want enough to be able to do what they want to do, but not, not a lot that it becomes part of what they need to be careful with and think about and afraid of making bad decisions and afraid of becoming the type of person that they don't want to become because they have money. So yeah, melancholics are the ones that when they win the lottery, they go like, do you have any idea the amount of taxes I'm going to have to pay now? And now I'm going to have to get an accountant and a lawyer and this is going to get so confusing and what am I supposed to do with it? Now I need to know about savings. This is horrible. And they want to just get rid of it as soon as they can. Yeah. yeah would that, would that fake fires be similar to, to cholerics or would fake fires be like what I just said about, I will give it to my relationships to control them. Fake fires would use it publicly as cholerics, but behind closed doors, they would actually be trying to support people. I can give you an example. Uh, like I have a friend whose mother is very phlegmatic and they have a lot of money. And when she presents herself publicly, it's it's like I own everything because they are mind-blowingly rich. And she's like, I own everything. But for example, she always leaves cash money in her purse that she leaves in a private place in, in the house where everybody has access to it because she knows that her family will walk through there and get some money every time they go visit because she knows that they need it. And she doesn't even want them to have to ask. Like that's the money for the family and it's always there. It's an unspoken agreement and everybody knows about it. Hmm. that's how fake fires you will we will usually do it like they don't want you to see them doing the effort for you but they will do the effort that because they're still phlegmatic malik uh is asking a, an interesting question is bill gates phlegmatic yes he is okay that's what really yeah he's and kind of like an analyzing phlegmatic. phlegmatic yeah exactly yeah he looks exactly like your dad like physically like his body is very similar the, oh my dad well, I need to see your dad in person. Yeah, no, <laughs> my dad, my dad was in a car accident when he was much younger, and he walks like a hobbit. But um, <laughs> like Bill Gates, seems uh, much I meant, I meant the frame. Dad. I've never seen your dad. Oh walk. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was gonna say when Rose said that melancholics find money difficult, Betsy on the Instagram said you can start every prompt with Mel's melancholics find it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Complete the phrase. Melancholics find it difficult too. One million You're options right. on the board. <laughs> right. yeah. They're all right. Well, we've got some other questions I, I want to get to. I love this money conversation though. So, so yeah, Igor, thanks for bringing it up. Thank you for the patronage. Uh, and we're going to dip into some of these other questions. So Igor, you can go off mic and off camera. 
we thank love you, you Igor. Thank you. That was a great on. question. That was a Igor. fantastic question. Way to kick it off. We've got a bunch of questions on the Patreon. If you guys want to contribute to these uh, listener question episodes, go over to patreon.com slash RGP development, and you can submit your questions uh, to us that we will answer. And if you even want to be weekly on these Zoom calls with us, there's a level for that as well. So our first question comes from Charlie, who says, what biotype is Paul Rudd? Who's Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd, I'm going to pull him up right now. Paul Rudd is an actor from every Judd Apatow movie. He's like, he was he's like the dreamiest comedian. Oh, Ant-Man. Of course I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. he's phlegmatic. Ant-Man's phlegmatic? Because he's so likable. Yeah. <laughs> A win for Ross. Yes. One he's of us. so likable. His comedy is extremely sarcastic to a point where you want to punch him in the face, but you don't because he looks so nice. He and at the same nice. time, he must have he must have struggled to to get like fit for the role like crazy. Like if any other biotype had to work out the way he must have had to work out to look like that, they would be like ripped. Oh, he's so phlegmatic. I just Googled Paul Rudd yeah. shirtless for the first time. Uh Ever, yeah. I promise. Whoa, whoa. But he looks ripped for a phlegmatic. Even here, like, uh, I, it, this must be from Ant-Man. You get his abs and they say only once. <laughs> yeah, only but yeah, once. When you, when you look at him normally, he's got, the, he's got all the phlegmatic traits, which if you want to but find dude, out about what those are, come do the intro to biotypes. We'll teach you how to read bodies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and at the same time, if you look at it, like I would be proud of my body if I were phlegmatic and I looked like that. Yeah. Like, that's I, amazing. That's the goal. That's the goal right yeah. here. That's the goal. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what that Ross, thought. that's every time I see you, you look like yeah. that. I do wear the 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 sheet over my uh, <laughs> over my <laughs> People on Instagram can't see the pictures that Ross no, is showing us. But, but if they Google Paul Rudd shirtless on Paul their Rod. own, I encourage Paul everybody Rod at just... home and on Instagram to Google Paul Rudd shirtless, and they will see exactly. <laughs> Ross and I have been talking about ever since we met Rodrigo. All of our Google searches are just like men's name shirtless. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> Google's gonna start sending you like gay clubs. Yeah, ads, targeted ads yeah. like that. Yeah, I know. I, I disable cookies. Um, okay, next question. Also from Charlie. How did Ross meet Brian? How did Rodrigo meet Ross? How did Brian meet Rodrigo? Did the trio dynamic <laughs> congeal on the podcast or before? What biotype is Paul Rudd? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, you guys get Brian, to answer all of those questions. Brian and Rodrigo met two weeks from now. Um, we haven't yeah. met yet, but we <laughs> will. In person. Um, 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 also, I asked let's on- Let's go in chronological order. How did Ross meet Brian? This is um, actually a great little story. So Ross, I think I actually met you for the first time sitting in the Lyric Hyperion Theater mm -hmm. yes. um, as we were about to see Zach Zucker's show, I yes. think. And you like turned to me and you were like, hey, man, I saw your one man show. I really liked your right. No, I saw the Britannic show. Uh, you, you played songs. I really liked them. And I was like, really? Because that was the first time I ever played them. And I was like, I'm doing it for my, my one man show. And I'm really nervous. And you're like, don't be nervous. They're great. I was like, oh, this guy's really nice. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's what I remember talking. Megan Batoon told me that you had liked my stuff. So I was like, oh, that's this guy seems really kind. And then I didn't really think uh, much of it for a while. And then last May, almost a year ago during COVID, you Instagram me asking if I could be in your um, uh, web series. And normally I just ignore stuff like that. But it was like, I was like, oh, I like that guy. And it's like COVID and I'm bored. I'll do anything. But I didn't respond. And then you like send another text. And you're like, hey, man, just checking up. And I was like, oh, why not? I'll call him and let's just we'll do it. 
but like there's a there's like kind of a coin flip in my head of whether or not I was going to call you like I could there's definitely a, a way in which I could have been like nah I just it's COVID I have an excuse to not do this because that's what I often do to people but with you I was like no let's just do it and it changed like the course of my last year immensely <laughs> and then um <laughs> And then the course I'll, of your I'll, life, there were some life moments in this past year that if yes, we had, yes. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And then oh, this yeah. is, oh, oh yes. Uh, <laughs> talk about that one day on the podcast. Uh, but, um, but I guess the, the fun part of the story is like, I called you and I, I really enjoyed talking to you for like 15 minutes. And you were like, I want to film you for my little web series. Let me just come over to your house. It'll take 15 minutes. Yeah. So Ross came over to my house and he sat down and we talked for three and a half hours and didn't film it. <laughs> we were like, okay, well, Ross is like, I have to go. I'll come back tomorrow and we'll do it okay so he comes back tomorrow we talk for three and a half hours and we don't film it and i'm like who is this guy that i'm having these long conversations with and i think the third day you came over and we filmed it after a three-hour conversation but like nick showed up and we had to write with for Britannic stuff and we had to just like squeeze in really quick and then from then on out we just started hiking and eating sandwiches and um yes. then you introduced me to rodrigo uh i remember because i i told you about rodrigo and and you got like i've never seen you get shy and the way that you were like, you were starstruck by Rodrigo the first time. I was like, I'll FaceTime him. You're like, what, here now? Like, this is, how, I'm, I, not I'm, ready. Not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not dressed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we, we did all to talk about how the dynamic congealed. I think we knew that the dynamic was solid because first of all, when Rodrigo like first met Brian over FaceTime, he liked him. He was like, I like I that did. guy. Um, and I was like, okay. And then we we made a plan to go on Megan's podcast, which was going to be the four of us. And the dynamic of the four of us on the podcast was just fantastic. And I think we all really enjoyed it. We've been trying to get Megan back on this one to kind of like, you know, revive the original four. And when we were we starting miss this- you, Megan. I know. When we were starting this podcast, I was like, Megan, do you want to be on this with us? And she's like, you know, filming, you know, I can't, I don't know if it's public what she was filming, but it'll come out soon. Um, and she was, you know, busy with her Megan life. And then we, uh, we kind of got her blessing and started biotypical, just the, just JTV, just the boys. Um, and- uh, yeah. There's one missing component of the Brian and Ross story, which is when I was in college, this is like 2008, I had written a pilot that I thought would be really good for the Britannic guys. And I emailed Nick and Nick passed on it very hard. And but I was a, a fan of Britannic for a very long time. Um, which is why I was like going to their their shows at UCB. And then I met Brian in person and he was like oddly receptive to compliments. Um, and I was actually very <laughs> surprised when I messaged him about the web series and it wasn't an immediate yes. <laughs> and I remember like, I was like, oh, I got to pitch this a little bit better <laughs> to like get him on the board. And it was even still a conflict, uh, a coin flip. But um, but yeah, that, that uh, was- uh, um, You should have the- emailed me in 2008, man. I know I, I emailed the wrong one. Nick Kocher was easier to spell than Brian McElhaney, you know, <laughs> That's very true. here. I know. It's very true. Yes. It's everything for a reason. Everything when when for I did, one thing I do like is when I first met Ro on a FaceTime, because I was like, what's I, you got to hear I, what's my biotype. And like, he texted Ross afterwards and he said, Brian's a, a balanced melancholic. And then after 
tweeted Megan's podcast where I was like, oh no, I fell for his mask. He's not balanced at all. But like, I realized my mask must, my mask must be pretty good because Ro never says, I mean, rarely it's like, oh, you're a balanced version of your uh, biotype. It is an incredibly rare event that someone gets that from Rodrigo True. when he reads them. So clearly I have, uh, I, I, uh, had really perfected my mask that day. I was uh, I was doing well. <laughs> and um, I really liked you. So that blindsided me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I, we all just sort of had that natural chemistry between us when we met. Yeah. And oh, and, and how I met Rodrigo was um, I did the MITT basic and uh, Rodrigo was up on stage doing his thing. He was he was the facilitator for my basic. And I, I was like, oh, my God, because I've done a ton of Tony Robbins work and uh, Mankind Project, a lot of these different things. So uh, so I was pretty jaded when it came to facilitators. But to see someone and you all have experienced Rodrigo in the way that he communicates. It's very real. It's very normal. It's very human. Um, and I was like, oh, fuck, like that's mm -hmm. that's what it looks like to be like a balanced, real person, but also still doing this. Um, and afterwards, I went up to him and I said, can I uh, get keep in touch with you? And then he's like, no. <laughs> and then <laughs> I was like, OK, um, but then I wound up going I'm through all of MITT. No, it was it students. was it was absolutely the right the right move no. was to say no. I mean, like like, you know, everyone reaches out to you after these things and you've done like 200 of them there's you know it, it's it's also like the dynamic needed to stay that way and it wasn't until a year later after i'd staffed for you i gave you a copy of my book um and yep. then i i messaged you i forgot how i messaged you but i messaged you and you responded to me and this was like you know a year or two later and you said do you want to yep. know why i'm responding to you and i said yeah and you said because i i started to read your book I didn't finish it, but it's funny. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I, we had you on my podcast. Um, and, and before I have people on my podcast, I always ask them, why, you know, what are you up to? How do I frame you? What do you want to be? And when you and I had that discussion, I was like, oh, my God, this guy needs a, a lot of help with social media if, if that's his goals. And so I was like, can I help you with your social little, media? Little little interruption because in, in instagram they're asking the name of your book stop oh, stopping the unstoppable the name of my book is called stop stopping the unstoppable you can get it at stop stopping the unstoppable.com it's a parody of like a, a personal development work i'm very proud of it i think it's very funny um it's it, good it yeah. is good um, I was writing one during the pandemic called uh, Surthrival, <laughs> a more than survival guide, <laughs> but um, I, I didn't commit to it. I didn't get it finished. But anyway, uh, Rodrigo uh, came on my podcast and we started to develop the, the, English uh, the, the English Instagram stuff, which eventually turned into RGP development because everything was online. So we were just able to start offering workshops and it was awesome. It was like it was such a life changing moment. Uh, I think for both of us, right? Like, it's yeah. like, look, we have a podcast, like we're very much current in what we're doing. And until we start selling photos of you as NFTs, I think we're pretty, pretty up to speed on, <laughs> on as much as we can be doing online. Um, so that's the dynamic. And it was just like, it was fun. It was, it was a, um, it was so it was basically nice. Ross stalked you guys here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I call it intention that's and what, commitment. That's that's what plumatics do. They're yeah. they're the glue of the people. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I there yeah, have been you are times in my life. Blue, for sure. Remember when we were Brian and I were away for the Fourth of July last year, and they were like, "What would like you not believe?" Like ten years ago, you what would they not believe about your life today? And I was thinking about how big of a Britannic fan I was, and I was like, "That I'm here for Fourth of July with Brian from Britannic." Like that was like the 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 thing that I was like, sometimes I look around my life and this is how I want my life to always feel is I look around my life and I go, oh God, like I'm in really good company. Like I'm in, I'm in high caliber company. You kn- you've known of me for like a decade now that we've been friends for a year. I just forget yeah. that sometimes. I know, but like I a, think you don't realize how it feels. That just sounds weird. I know. But, it, yeah, but yeah. Brian also doesn't realize how great he is. Like, I think that that's a, a, a continual theme of like, like I could tell, like we talk about it all the and, time. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, like undersold yeah, himself to himself about this. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, you know, I burned that journal in my psycho magic act. Okay. I think I'm like getting, yeah. Pretty, uh, <laughs> So that answered that question. We have so many more questions to go, but as much as I love just talking about us, let's keep going. Just a little answer to Instagram right now. Yes, we're going to do live readings tonight. We're going to have a live tonight to do live readings. This is a recording of the podcast that we're doing through Instagram too. We hope you enjoy it. Um, Let's see. All right, next cue. Oh my God, Charlie has so many questions. I'm just going to read Charlie's next three questions and we're going to choose (laughs) one of them. Ready? Yes. The episode topic you're dying to record someday is blank. The guest you would love to have on the podcast someday is blank. Paul Rudd's biotype is blank. <laughs> well, we already answered Paul Rudd. Yeah. Uh, Paul Rudd. <laughs> all, by the way, all of Charlie's questions end with what is Paul Rudd's biotype? <laughs> I'll tell you the episode that I want to have. And I, I emailed. Uh, so I got hypnotized on stage in Las Vegas one time, and it was the, like the greatest hour of my entire life and totally wow. ch- reframed my whole like thoughts of what hypnotism is and like really like gave me a new insight to like what our brain can do. And I yeah. emailed that hypnotist to be like, come on the podcast and never responded. But I love to have like a trained hypnotist come and explain a lot of what that's all about because it is fascinating to get hypnotized. It is truly incredible. I recommend everyone... Uh, go to Vegas and act like an asshole on stage and not know what you're doing. It's really amazing. Um, but I would love to talk about that uh, in terms of what Rodrigo knows about the brain and psychology with someone who actually knows a lot about hypnotism. Um, I would love to have any sort of celebrity that is going through like a huge breakdown and have them get help on this podcast like this and, is yeah. so a melancholic and a phlegmatic answer yeah i just want i, I just want like like, like, a Chris Delia, like yeah wanna... give, give me someone that is like like had the biggest fuck up of their career um and is like bottomed out and they're really looking to change like someone that's really looking for some real answers finally you know that's, that's something yeah, that's that would be really nice and something that i really enjoy about that and that, that i find interesting is that at some point in the past a lot of celebrities in Mexico started looking for me as they were facing like Me Too movement accusations, uh, like a comedian that made the wrong joke in the, in the wrong moment and, and was completely crucified publicly for doing it. And, and I started supporting them with it. And that's how I started discovering this, like the theory that I built around the 27 Club, like the, the positive masks and what happens behind them. And when your positive mask becomes your career and well, like, 
the the mask of being a musician or an actor and being loved by everyone becomes who you who you pretend to be all the time and what we know starts happening in your subconscious behind it that's why every time from the first time you asked me this ross like who would i would love to have on the podcast please bring justin bieber <laughs> and yeah. i don't like the guy and i don't I, i don't necessarily like his music but um <laughs> i i feel like we could really support him and and he he looks like someone who should be happier he's 27 so i know oh shit this is the year yep oh my god if he dies this year that would be horrible um anyway i think he's he's kind of calmed down a little bit right he's not touring that big maybe this year is kind of giving him a break or something like that like i just the- saw him give a give a little like small desk concert that pbs thing they do uh-huh and he does not look okay yeah no um okay <laughs> well we answered that question let's go on to this question from uh lorena says ro during one of the power parenting classes you mentioned you pay attention to someone's eyes because you can tell what one is thinking can you elaborate mm. or provide a resource for people that want to learn about that for example yeah. what does body language give away during a therapy session well we can yeah. go into yeah, the I, eye things uh, yeah I, this is fascinating to me I love this. This is pure NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. And in NLP, they show you, and I started studying this when I was like 15. Uh, in NLP, they show you when your eyes go into different places is because you're searching different places in your head. Like you're actually going to different hemispheres and paying attention to different parts of your brain. It's a reflection of what's happening inside of you. And you can make this test with your friends and surprise them because it's extremely fun. You can stand behind someone, put your hand in this place, in their top right. Don't, don't drop us, Brian. Uh, you, you can stand, stand behind them and put your hand on the top right of their head. They can't see it. Uh, and then for the people in front of you, um, you, you just ask the person, do you remember what you were wearing yesterday? And their eyes will immediately go top right, exactly where you placed your hand. <laughs> Uh, because that's how we search for images. When when we go top right, we're actually going to the left hemisphere and we're looking for, for, for memory and images. And that's how we remember images. That's why when you ask someone, what happened at the party last night? They go like, hmm, let me think. Like they go top yeah. right immediately. And then when they don't remember something, when they don't remember like uh, a, a little part of the party and they're trying to tell you about it, they need to use their creative mind, uh, their subjective thinking in order to remember and, and fill, in, fill in the blanks. So they start going to the left because that's how we create. So I start going like, well, Brian was there and it was fun. And, and Roz was there and we, and there, there was someone else. I, I want to remember who that other mm. person was. Um, Oh, there you go. I, I pulled up an image. Yeah. So, so it's uh, the right side is remembering anything that goes off to the right yeah. is memory recall. But a lot of, a lot left. of people get, a lot of people get really confused with this image because they assume that it's flipped. And this is actually what you're looking at. This is right. Uh, like this is, this is to apply it to you as a mirror because a lot of people get it flipped because of that. Top right is 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 remembered visual, like as, as we're seeing right now. But if, if you're thinking that this is when you're looking at someone facing them, it's actually flipped. 
It's like if you go to top right is remember a visual. And if you, if you go in the middle, you're remembering a sound. This is why when I'm in the middle of a, of a session or a therapy with someone and I tell them, what are you thinking of? Like, where, where are you going with this? Uh, and, the, and their eyes go straight to the right and the middle. I, I start asking questions like, who screamed at you? What did they tell you? And they break down immediately because they're actually going through exactly that. They're going like they're remembering the audio of what was being told to them or or the sounds that they heard. Now, what I wanted to say about the left side is when we go to the left right hemisphere, we start creating. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that you're lying. Uh, it means that you might be constructing a little piece that you don't remember correctly, like the example that I was giving. But if so, if you ask someone someone something and they go straight left it's a lie uh, or if they're spending a lot of time on the left uh, to, to try and build a concept that they're trying to tell you, it means that they, like if someone has a very, a very specific construction, a conceptual construction, they're going to go down and to the right. But if they're building it on the fly, they're going to go to the left. Yes. It's, it's, no, no, no. I'm, I'm testing the Zoom thing because if you're doing a session with someone on Zoom, is it mirrored? Does it look like I'm holding up my right hand or my left hand right now? Your you? right hand. It's mirrored for you if you have in the settings but for other people it looks exactly like standing in front of you oh, and when i have a question about it when when i'm when i'm going to use uh the information from the eyes uh virtually i usually tell them can you put up your right hand and uh, and they just go like yeah why oh and i just wanted to know like if the image was flipped or not and then i just use the information uh <laughs> so if you want to get on a zoom and lie to someone just flip your image and uh, you'll look like you're telling the truth yeah they'll be like you won't believe I- that this guy went into a volcano yesterday and met an elf <laughs> <laughs> But the, the, the funny thing about it is that um, I think even through Zoom, you can't flip the image for the other people. You can flip it for yourself because that's how you're used to seeing yourself in the mirror. Your image in the mirror is flipped from the experience of everyone else. So mm-hmm. when people see themselves the way the way other people see them, they get confused. There's, there's funny videos of people um, uh, using that flip feature on, on apps and starting crying like, is that how... Is that how I look for other people? And and our faces are not perfectly symmetrical, but we're used to seeing them flipped because that's how we see ourselves in the mirror. The thing is for other people, the, the image that they see is as common as the one we're used to seeing in the mirror. I so just, them, I just flip mine. I just flip my mirror image and I'm like, yeah, that is a little unsettling. It is. It's it's like I have a thing playing soccer when I was a kid. Uh, I I scored a goal with a with a header, and and the goalie was coming out with a, with the fists like that, and he crooked my nose a little bit. And when I see my image flipped, it looks my nose looks perfectly straight because I'm used to seeing it. But if you mm-hmm. flip it, I feel like my nose is completely crooked because of that. I'm yeah, yeah. Video again, I don't want to be distracted. Um, Malik <laughs> wants to know is straight up anything like if you roll your eyes back? <laughs> I think that's having a seizure. Yeah, that's uh, you're going, that's, you're an exorcism. Yeah, you're, you're doing full Bill Cosby if you roll your eyes up. Yeah, so stay away from those yeah. people. <laughs> um, I was gonna say, Ro, we talked about something once that I found so fascinating. We were looking at photos of a woman and you she had like these big, bright, cute eyes. And you talked about the idea of like, oh, this happens sometimes when you don't get a lot of love as a baby, because you like keep the baby eyes essentially. Because <coughs> it's like that's your way of like still trying to like, you know, the way like babies open their eyes really big to kind of like get a lot of love from the people around them. People kind of hold on, I guess, a systemic loyalty 
normalcy of sorts to them, like kind of being a baby, like kind of needing that. And I don't know, I think about people who have like, you know, quote unquote, crazy eyes, like everyone knows what that means, but there's a certain type of way in which they're, they stare at you that my friend Lee is doing right now. Um, there's a, a there's bird a crazy right eyes. by you too, which yeah. is awesome. <laughs> a Hawaiian Amazing. bird, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not exactly like that. I'm glad that you're bringing it up and and right, really right. understanding so that we can nail it properly because I want you to really to to to, to really get it too. Um, they're called oral eyes. And A U R A L. You can't oral O R A L. Yeah, oral with an O that oral. means mouth. I thought yeah, it's A-U-R-A-L. Except that's exactly it. No, no, no. It's with a no. It's with a no. Because it's from the oral stage of children. Uh, like, oh, we need to break this down. I didn't know you guys didn't get it. So I'll 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 make sure I'll make sure that to, to explain. I just Googled that. I don't think that's a thing. A-U-R-A O-R-A-L eyes. Oral. Uh, it means mouth. You're right. Yeah, but it's not, it's like how do you take your medicine orally yeah i can't That's find anything on google about it oral eyes o-r-a-l oh no of course you're not going to find anything in google a lot of what rodrigo said is you can't google, <laughs> you can't google it <laughs> we should just call it's this like podcast people, don't google it it's like people googling biotypes they just find bullshit that has nothing to do with what we teach uh but uh, let, let let me okay see keep someone, going. someone on instagram is saying yes it is lol i'm studying it see oh yeah and i see now if i google oral stage of development that exists that's where you have yes. the oral fixation where you want yes. things in your mouth okay great exactly so well what what we're what we're trying to say about this is, this is a distinction that i borrow from from psychocorporal therapy they call it oralize because in the oral stage of our lives is they call it the oral stage it has to do with the mouth because when my baby's in the oral stage right now he's six months old and his only way of interacting with the world is with his mouth so whatever you give him he puts it in his mouth so that that's how he knows how feel feel how things feel taste uh like that's how he interacts with everything and we call it the oral stage now we need to add another piece of information for this to make sense this is a beautiful distinction by the way um we're all programmed to feel tenderness and want to protect things with big eyes always uh and it's it's in our dna that's why when we see babies in the oral stage they have really big eyes and we feel this tenderness and wanting to care for them and love them and protect them that's why it's almost unthinkable when we know that someone hurt a baby we go like what was that person going through what was going through their head this makes absolutely no sense how could you hurt a baby uh like purposefully uh but the thing is there's one part of the human body that never grows you change cells obviously every seven years they're completely new but the thing is um the size of your eye never changes since you're born until you die so when we say when we say the oral stage, that's the point in there in life where your eyes are going to be the biggest in proportion to the rest of your face. And we have this 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 like genetic reaction to that. And and the really interesting thing about this is that some people, especially phlegmatics, their eyes look really big. 
especially when they're babies, but also when they're adults. So we call that oral eyes because the proportions of your eyes for the rest of your frame and face look so big that you trigger this uh, tenderness and sweetness and, and wanting to protect uh, it within people just by standing in front of them and looking at them. And it's so intuitive, intuitively, like it happens in such an intuitive way that we also use it in cartoons and movies and kids going like, please, pretty please, because it works. Even the Puss in Boots is like they get the Puss in Boots like this and the eyes get massively big and people can't say no to them. And between, um, well, within, uh, um, oh, I forgot the name of the theory I just quoted. Um, They use it in sacral cranial and they also use it in psychocorporal. And within psychocorporal theory, uh, we call them oral eyes because they, they trigger the exact same thing as a baby in the oral stage. I'm so happy so was we there answered something... that question because like, I've always thought it was oral A-U-R-A-L. And now no. to know that it's uh, like, I did, that just cleared that up in a huge way for me. So That's awesome. was there something about if you, in that oral stage, if you don't get a certain amount of attention or love that you can like, you can express those eyes more as an adult or did I make that up? Do we have, was that not you, something we spoke about? You, you made that up. <laughs> it's a cool theory though what it about is. crazy <laughs> eyes someone asked on Look, instagram even, what do you mean even, by crazy eyes there's the emoji even, yeah lorena and the patron yeah and you want to just do anything for that emoji you know yeah. those are emojis that. of oral eyes we even have an emoji about it and someone's asking a really interesting question here in in, in instagram too uh phone phone apologetic uh, that's why a lot of Disney princesses and anim- animated female characters have baby faces with big eyes. Yes, that's it. They're manipulating yeah. your endocrine system. Yeah, <laughs> when you see those type of eyes, you feel like protecting them and you feel all fuzzy inside. It's the hormones that are created by that. That's awesome. All right, let's keep going. We got some more. We got okay. some more really good questions. Charles says during the problem child episode uh, with uh, with Brian's friend, you mentioned that children of divorce can have difficulty with commitment in their relationships due to a lack of that being modeled by their parents. What are the best ways to counteract this difficulty, and the best ways to work to overcome the questioning and second guessing that comes with this? Okay, I'm, I'm going to need to hear the whole thing again because I was distracted by an amazing comment on Instagram that says, why is Ross fact-checking Rodrigo? Such an analyzer. <laughs> because it's important He's not that fact-checking we're right. me. He, well, he just wants to make sure that we're delivering the, the, it, the That's exactly what it is. You know what it is? It's a form of protection because I don't want you saying anything that someone else calls you on. I'd rather us call you on it and make sure that we get clear on it here rather than somebody trying to use it to take down everything. Here's something about people is if they're struggling with a concept <laughs> and they they go looking for one little thing that's off wrong um disproven and then they and use then it to take down everything, everything. Yeah. yeah so i i'd rather us be on it and then uh th- not have that happen <laughs> anyway um so charles says uh yeah you so dr- the children of divorce thing right that children of divorce can have problems with commitment in their relationships due to a lack of that being modeled with their parents so they want to know the best ways to counteract that difficulty and the best ways to work to overcome the questioning and second guessing that comes along with it uh-huh <laughs> 
I don't need me to ask him over the big question. It's essentially like if you're if you're a child of divorce, right? Mm-hmm. We mentioned in the problem child episode that being a child of divorce can create difficulty with with relationships because it wasn't modeled mm-hmm. by your parents. So mm-hmm. they want to know the best way to counteract that. The okay, I I get it now. Ah, what a good question. Okay, so the first thing that we need uh, that we need to explain is being the child of divorced parents. It's, this is not mathematical. It doesn't mean that you will be challenged in, in having a family. In fact, I have a perfect example of that. My dad is a, the son of, of, of a divorced couple, and he has been together with my mom for almost 50 years. And they'll, they'll die holding each other's hands, I promise you. Uh, but the thing is, my that dad sounded like a it. threat, didn't it? I promise <laughs> you, die, die holding, holding each other's hands. hands. I promise you. Oh, it's it's just a, it's just a concept in other languages. When yeah. you use it in Portuguese and Spanish to say like that was a loving couple. When you say they died holding hands, it, it meant that they they they, they were together. No, 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 that was a beautiful sentiment. Nice image. But saying I promise you is <laughs> I promise you they yeah. will, <laughs> and I love that they will. Yeah. But here's the interesting part. Um, my dad, my dad created that uh, out of reaction, like he's reacting to what he didn't have as a kid, and that's why he protects that relationship so much. I even had a conversation about it about it with him when I was a teenager, and I said, "Dad, do you realize that if you didn't have my mom, my sister, and me, you would have an amazing penthouse, a house on the beach, a Ferrari parked downstairs?" And and he looked at me and he said, "Yeah, but I wouldn't give up my family uh, for that." And, and and you wouldn't you shouldn't ask these questions because you wouldn't exist, and uh, and I said, well, you're you're right, but that was my dad reacting to what he felt was 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 broken in his family growing up. Now that's not what most people do, and and I still had to work with my dad a little bit when I was still acting as his therapist, which was wrong, uh, but I did I did support him in not having a relationship that was fear-based because when we do something in reaction, we're not actually choosing it. We're just running away from something else. And I didn't want my dad to feel like he had to suffer uh, in order not to lose his family and to actually have people around him, which he didn't have growing up. Now, most people don't do that. Even though this looks beautiful, it's actually dangerous. But what most people do is they assume that this is how love works and they assume that this is how relationships work. So then they can only be attractive and be within relationships. This becomes their comfort zone. When relationships have that element of danger and and being left alone and being abandoned somehow, that's the only place in which they can be comfortable, which is ridiculous. But that's their comfort zone. Most people think that their comfort zone is a couch. No, your comfort zone is whatever pain you're used to. Like what whatever horrible type of events, pain and situations they're used to, you're going to try and recreate them because they become the new norm. They, they become normal to you and you know how to navigate them. You don't want any other sort of pain or risk because you wouldn't know how to react. For those people, uh, in order to fix that, because it is fixable, you need to fix the pain, not the event. This is a symptom. You don't need to get rid of the symptom. The symptom will go away if you actually do your work, and your work will have to do with to with, will have to do with dealing with the pain that you experience when your parents were breaking up and you didn't have them together, and you didn't have the sense of home and nest and family. You need to go through that pain because that's the pain that was covered up with those beliefs that this must be normal and how the world works. And when you get rid of that pain 
uh, those beliefs stop having that amount of power. So it's not about fixing anything in your worldview of beliefs. Your worldview of beliefs, uh, your relationship beliefs, tell us that there's pain. And then when you release that pain, for the first time, you can see other people and, and understand other structures of relationship beyond what you needed for you to explain your own pain. Great answer. So I want to give the Instagram folks a little bit of a heads up because after this next question, we're going to go to the patron only version of this podcast. So if you want to continue on with this episode live, you can go to patreon.com slash RGP development and you can sign up. I think it's the $20 level gets you access to the live recordings. Um, so we're not going to cut it off just yet, but I want to give you guys enough time to go and switch over. Uh, should you want to join us, uh, continue with this episode, we've got like join us. The patron section is always amazing. It's it's phenomenal, and you don't just get the listener question episodes; you get every episode. You can join us for those. So, um, this next question uh, coming from the Patreon uh, goes about. Uh, okay. We got a lot of really good ones here. My gosh, we're not going to get to all of these. And I feel a little bit about bad, a bit bad. We already answered one of Lorena's. So I'm going to skip over those. Sorry, Lorena. Um, Teresa said, okay, I want I just want to think of like a really good one that we can go to break on. <laughs> um, okay. Dan says, related to last week's episode on ego, are there ways that our ego uses core beliefs to put up walls that we might not even know are there? I only ask because re recently I realized that there's someone I'm interested in romantically on a subconscious level. My ego convinces me of a belief that there will always be someone out there better than me, better than me that this person should be with so that they, they don't think that they're good enough and that there's someone better for this person to be with. I'm definitely working on shifting that mindset, but I wonder if my ego is presenting that belief to potential romantic partners and even friends in ways that I don't even realize are happening. I also realize I could just be a hyper aware melancholic that's reading way too much into things. And <laughs> I want to add another question. Yes, on the, you are. On the other side of this is the question of, is there someone better out there for me? So there are two, is that two sides of the same coin of there's somewhere, there's someone out there that's better for this person than I am. And there's someone out there that's better for me than this person. Um, so if you want the answer to that question, go to, uh, go to our patreon.com slash RGP development, and you can sign up to get full episodes, full length episodes and join in on the conversation. Want more biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash RGP development. There, you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it, and we'll see you next time.